Hello and welcome to Running Mate, a podcast for Brits about the US election. In today's episode, do the TV debates matter? Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. I went to a number of women's groups and said, can you help us find folks? And they brought us whole binders full of uh, of women. It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. The first of four TV debates begin this week. And with Donald Trump trading Joe Biden in the polls, is this a make or break moment in the campaign? Biden's likely to face questions over his health and Trump will have to answer why the pandemic has spiralled out of control on his watch. But we'll both be simply looking to avoid making a mistake and would even a winning performance make any difference come polling day? Hello, my name is Graham Demonick from HuffPost UK team and joining me today are two of my colleagues from the US. I've got Jen Bendery, who's a senior politics reporter for HuffPost. Hello, Jen. How are you? Hello, I'm good. And Igor Bovic, uh, politics reporter at HuffPost. Hello, Igor. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. So for anyone coming to the podcast for the first time, this is what we're trying to do. Um, I'm a British journalist living and working in America. And at HuffPost UK, we wanted to try and produce something that made a bit more sense of the US election for people at home. And this time around, we wanted to look at the TV debates that are upcoming. Guys, in the UK, I think the debates have in the US have like a mythical status of of something to be definitely mimicked in the UK. We've been trying since about 2012, the first one, sorry, 2010, the first ones we did, to do one at each election cycle. So there's certainly something that um, looms large in the minds of uh, political watchers in the UK. Can you kind of explain to us why they matter um, so much, if indeed they they do. What's the what's the importance of the TV debates, Jen? What do you what do you make of them? I think overall they don't matter a right. whole lot. <laughs> let's just let's just start with that baseline. Okay. Um, you know, you can talk about research on like how much did it sway a voter's opinion when they saw the candidates talking in a debate, and you know the numbers don't really reflect ma- major changes in opinions after watching people talk to each other for an hour and a half or two hours or three hours, um, because people already largely have their opinions cemented already. But I think that there are some pieces that are important. I think that for maybe one of the biggest pieces of the debates is is the need to not make a mistake. So it's, it's about avoiding gaffes. And so if you make a mistake, that's going to be what people remember about you. And I think, you know, debates can be helpful for understanding where certain policy positions are for a candidate when you didn't really understand that before. And I think that they also do matter for getting to know a candidate who's new. So for example, in the United States, everybody knows who Donald Trump is. Everybody knows who Joe Biden is, but maybe in the vice presidential debate, people will actually get to know who Kamala Harris is for the first time. So those are some pieces that seem important and affect opinions. But by and large, I don't think that people watch a debate and have a a mind-blowing change of opinion and decide to vote for the other person. Eagle, they, they, I think that the first Clinton and Trump debate in 2016 got an, had an audience of something like 84 
million. Despite that, do you still think the same, that they largely, they might have a big audience, but they don't really change the game at all? Yeah, I generally agree. Um, in the in in overall broad terms, I think they matter a little just because we're so polarized. And you know, even if your candidate or the person that you you have a you're going to vote for has a bad night, that that doesn't necessarily mean you're you're not going to vote for him, for them in the end. I think they are extremely important for the campaigns themselves. Um, a lot a lot of money is raised uh, if you know uh, one of your, one of the candidates has a really really good zing or attack or you know th those moments that are clipped and put it online on facebook on twitter and the campaign the campaigns themselves need need these kinds of moments to really sustain themselves because of the long and grueling campaign season um so i think that's what both biden and trump are gonna try to do and uh really the pressure is going to be on biden to uh kind of show that he's alive Right. It's able to function, <laughs> it can speak well, because Trump has so lowered the bar right now on, on you know, what who's going to show up and debate him. Yeah, that, that that's interesting. I wondered what you both thought about what the, what either candidate could get out of this, what what the what the strategy will be for for both of them. I think Trump's going to go into it um, behind in the polls more than likely. That's 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 where we are at the moment. Does he does does he does he attack uh, Biden quite strongly? I mean, we've definitely seen that in his tweets. And is it going to be more of that, Jen? Do you think? Of course, that's that's Trump's number one mo. He he just attacks everybody who doesn't support him. So it seems like he's going to be attacking Joe Biden for um, hiding in his basement, which is a, a line I keep seeing him using, as if Biden is literally just sitting in a basement in his pajamas, not running for president. So there's that. So Biden will have to somehow appear and show he's not just sitting in a basement. Uh, and and then he also and Joe and Biden is going to have to do this, too. But Trump will attack him for his mental acuity. And and they're both old guys. They both are not totally you know, they're not as sharp as they were when they were younger. And they're both going to have to address that. And I obviously Trump is is going to go on attack and say that Joe Biden is not mentally there and he's slow. And I think his nickname for him, because he has these very childish nicknames for other politicians, his nickname for Joe Biden is sleepy Joe Biden. Like he's sleepy, he's old, you know, he's not, he's not mentally there. But so I do think that Joe Biden will have to show that he is there mentally. But then you have Trump, who is clearly not there mentally. So at this point, it's unclear where the bar is. I think that Joe Biden just has to show the, the American viewers that he is alive and out of his basement and can, you know, hold down a conversation and be smart. That's that's where the bar is. Right, right. And and I mean, Biden has kind of responded to some of these attacks by basically doing that, hasn't he? Like he's he's done pretty competent speeches. Has Trump kind of misjudged this one, do you think at all, Igor? Is he this kind of portrayal of, of, of Biden as, as sleepy and as mentally not as sharp? Has he set the bar too high, perhaps, on that one? I, I think he's definitely setting the bar too high, but I don't think you can dismiss necessarily that Joe Biden can verbally stumble. He's shown it over and over again. He's said awkward things, inappropriate things, um, things that Democrats would rather not talk about. So uh, he can deliver a speech, absolutely, you know, uh, on teleprompter. But when it comes down to it, the, what I'll be looking for in the debates is whether the Biden of, 
you know, 2012, who took on Paul Ryan and really demolished Paul Ryan in, in that vice presidential debate shows up again or, or whether Trump is somehow able to rattle him and trip him up and, you know, call him call him names and that gets to him. Did I mean, Trump did largely that to Clinton in 2016. Was there, was there any evidence that had any effect at all at the time? His, his, his attacks on her, I remember if I got it correctly, there was a bit of anxiety going into those debates. The, the, the polls seemed to be closing closing then. Did, did, did that make any difference in 2016 at all, Jen? Do you remember? Well, if I remember right, um, it actually backfired on Trump. There was right. one there was one moment, and I think it was in the final debate when Trump was sort of following Hillary Clinton on the stage and kind of looming over her in a very menacing way when she stepped forward to speak to the audience and uh, that got a lot of attention because it, it felt threatening and it felt inappropriate. And it, it, you know, a lot of women talked about it. Like, this is like the typical man looming over the woman, you know, putting her in her place of like, don't step in front of me and take control of this situation. It was very creepy. So yeah, there are moments, they did have moments like that, but Trump, Trump is a very different creature to talk about in a debate. So you don't really know what he's going to say or what he's going to do. And so with, with Joe Biden, it's it who is also known for his gaffes and his missteps. This it's very unclear how this is going to go right. <laughs> heading into these debates as, as a reporter planning to cover it. Right. Right. What well, have there have debates changed over the, the years at all? Were there halcyon days at all of these these um, incredible debates that were, were talked about for for for, for years after Eagle, do you do you remember any good ones? <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely been good ones. I think they have gotten gotten sharper as the, the electorate has become more polarized. But the ones that are really remembered are the ones where the candidates themselves did something stupid or embarrassing, or um, things like uh, you know 2000. Al Gore, um, then vice president, kept sighing after every answer, and you know that became a meme back then. Really. Right. Wanted- one of the first memes ever. Right. Everybody made fun of him for sighing, and that kind of, you know, that became sort of a caricature of him. Um, there was, of course, Nixon, who, you know, was all sweaty. You um, know, in, in uh, 2000, 2012, Obama, of course, had his bad, bad first debate that he kind of stumbled in, and, and it seemed to um, seemed to change the race a little bit. But in the, in the end, he went on winning anyway. So um, I think it the potential for these debates to move the needle really is going to be small. Yeah, it's it's become as somebody who covers these debates, it feels there's a feeling of dread heading into it because it's it's long. I mean, they go for like sometimes they're three hours long. Oh, and, right. OK. And there's you know, there's three presidential debates and then one vice presidential debate. Right, Igor? Is it two? Yeah. It's three presidential debates and one vice presidential debate. So they go from anywhere from two to three hours each. And by hour two of watching these two people stand there and answer questions. You know, everybody's tired. They're tired, you're tired, and that's when mistakes start to happen and that's when you you're getting burned out from watching this and it you know, it it's it's good overall for people to see them interact, but it does it's getting I think it's changed over the years by getting more performative and much more a forum for having one-liners and and gaffes that people will harp on later. Sure. I mean, in in the UK, I think we, I guess we find it quite strange that that this is the only occasion where the the leaders of the two parties go head to head. In the UK, we have prime minister's questions. Is there kind of no no real sense of kind of radish and you know 
this is this, this, this is a rare thing that's actually happening. Well, I, I think that uh, a lot of people are going to tune in, especially with the first one. It historically tends to be the most watched debates when people are a lot of people are tuning in for the first time to see, you know, what the issues are going to be. A lot of people, most people don't watch Trump Trump rallies, you know. Right. <laughs> so this is going to be kind of the first time people are waiting into the election. Um, so I think it's going to be important. Does, and does the, the backdrop of the pandemic and social distancing, does that make a difference to this one at all in terms of it being one of the few, you know, there won't be as many rallies. Well, maybe there, maybe there will be. I'm not, not entirely sure. But th this is one of the few set pieces and it might have a have a bigger resonance because of because of covid jen does that make any sense at all yes i think and i don't know this for sure but i'm going to imagine that there's not a live audience at the debate and if there is that it's way pared down and people are sitting far apart with masks on that that alone changes the dynamic of this because even though a lot of us are watching it on tv part of the whole experience is the people in the audience who get up and ask questions or Sometimes you can see them in the background when there's a question posed. You can see people's faces and, and reactions. And so now it's it's not just visually, I think, going to be different, but the energy will be different without an audience or as, as big of an audience. And, and then there's just a general kind of pallor hanging over everything because this we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's scary and it's people are losing their jobs and getting very sick and and it's still going and it's going to get worse in the fall. That's what we all expect and um that's hanging over everything unemployment is high because of the pandemic we have national uh racial unrest right now in america and there's it's just a really bad time in america right now i mean it's bad everywhere with the pandemic but it really sucks in america right now and so this debate is happening you cannot remove this debate from the context in which it's happening and it's a very dark scary time right now and so that will be hanging over everything yeah, Igor, do you, what, what do you think they will be actually debating? Presumably, Biden will want to get to keep it on the pandemic and and Trump's botched handling. Yeah, that's right. The coronavirus is going to be a big, big issue that he covers. You know, uh, healthcare is going to be another giant, giant topic that, that Biden is probably going to hit. It was a huge issue that helped Democrats in 2018 and the congressional midterms. Um, I think Trump's going to go after uh, uh, Biden on China. He's trying to make China an issue, that he's a better uh, uh, candidate to take on China, something that he hasn't really done during his administration. So he's he's going to be attempting to make that argument uh, against Biden. And what about Trump? Would he? Is it just law and order for him? Is that is that the is that the territory where he thinks he's got he's got any chance of taking Biden down? <laughs> his big argument now is that. You know, the the protests and demonstrations that we've seen in the last couple of months, that's what you're going to get if you elect Joe Biden. Um, but unstated there is that this is all happening on Trump's watch anyway. Right. Um, what I'm going to be watching for is how much of a role um, the moderators themselves and the, new, and the news media uh, play to kind of fact check one of the most dishonest presidents, probably the most dishonest presidents, president in U.S. history. Right. Do, do, yeah, how important are the moderators to this? I mean, do they do they largely just sit sit back and let let them go at it, or do they do they do they intervene and fact check and prompt and probe? What's the what, what's the point of them generally, Jen? Do you think they don't usually fact check, and they should, and you know the, the debate shouldn't devolve into a back and forth of fact checking every statement. But 
there are times when candidates have said things that are just flatly untrue and they just kind of hang out there and never get called. So I've always been a little frustrated with that piece of this, but um, it does matter who's moderating. They have to be, they have to have good questions for starters and, and questions that people really outside of the bubble of the political world and questions that people want to hear the answers to. And they have to be able to interrupt uh, a candidate who is speaking out of turn or going too long or, you know, those kind of little procedural conversational pieces. They have to keep it on track. They're the ones responsible. And if they don't, it kind of devolves into this this stage of people talking over each other. And it's happened before and it gets really uncomfortable and it reflects badly on the moderator. And so they have to it's like a teacher in a classroom kind of they have to, like, keep everything running. Uh, so, you know, I think that moderators often get a lot of criticism. Usually after debates, I remember the next day, there's stories written about how they really blew it and it almost doesn't matter who it was, you know, but, um, but by and large, uh, yes, it does matter who's moderating because you know what network they're from and what they're, what kind of coverage they've been doing themselves and what they bring, you know, everybody brings a little piece of, of their, 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 opinion or their their vantage point of news coverage to a debate. So you kind of it's different with every moderator. And it helps, for example, to have uh, women and, and people of color moderating instead of just a bunch of white men, because they bring different questions with them to the, the conversation. And we haven't had that for very long in our debates, but we do. We're having more of it now. Right. I was going to just run through a few of the names of the the the, the, the lead moderators, I think uh, there seems to be. Um... Uh, Chris Wallace of Fox News is doing one, Steve Scully at C-SPAN, and Kristen Welker at NBC News seem to be the the three names. Is that, are they good? <laughs> yeah, they are good. Yeah. I think they're good. Yeah. I think, right. actually, I think they're all good. And and uh, Chris Chris Wallace is actually, that's his name, right? That's the one, yeah. that's who got it, Chris Wallace. Mm. He's a good one to, do, to pick right now because he's with Fox News, which is traditionally, you know, conservative TV network, but Chris Wallace has really emerged as someone who has has pressed the president harder than almost any major network host, and he'll be an, he'll be a good one to watch because I think Trump has has learned that he can't just count on people from Fox News now to always just give him softball questions and and praise him. Chris Wallace has really grilled him and his team, and and that should be a good one to watch. I think I think there's going to be three debaters in that first debate: Trump, <laughs> Biden, and Chris Wallace. Right. And Chris right. Wallace, I think, actually does fact checking in, in real time. And that's that's hard to do. Sometimes you have to actually know the right answer to something when the president or a candidate is spinning. And you sometimes you'll know a candidate is saying something that's not true, but you have to actually know exactly what is true. And I've seen Chris Wallace call out Trump on things before. He's very good at that. So I'm, I'm eager to see him in that debate. We'll come back to Jen and Igor later, but I've also spoken to Will Took, who's supervising video producer for HuffPost in the US and a fellow Brit. I asked Will to pull together some of the most memorable moments from TV debates of the past, and we had a run through why they matter. Tell us about the first one. Who's who's speaking here and why is this, uh, why is this an important one? So this is an oldie but a goodie. Uh, I'm taking you back to 1980, uh, where it's Ronald Reagan, the governor of California at the time, versus uh, the incumbent Jimmy Carter. Take a listen. These are the kind of elements of a national health insurance important to the American people. Governor Reagan again, 
typically is against such a proposal. Governor, <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> there you go again. I love it. Yeah, it's such a it's so it's so disarming and simple and plays to his kind of relaxed uh, Californian governor style, and it it feels like the one that everyone mentions whenever they talk like kind of West Wing type nerds when they talk about TV debates. This is this is probably the the, the top of the pile, right? Yeah, he definitely uses his old Hollywood movie star right. charm, and you watch the clip, and he just sort of leans into the microphone he's kind of almost chuckling to himself as he's about to say it and he just deploys it and it's also a great way to rebut without actually having to make a substantive point about policy right it's just a way to massively undercut the opponent um and it was a great way to uh, you know paint carter as a incumbent who had no new fresh ideas and of course he went on to lose um and it was you know, it's an enduring saying, right? So Reagan would use it throughout his career. And then more recently, we saw it, uh, Sarah Palin used it in her debate uh, with Joe Biden in 2008, and also Mike Pence uh, against Tim Kaine in 2016. Right. Yeah, no, it, it is a, it's a, re, it's a re- recurring theme for sure. Like even in the UK, um, the, I remember it being used in 2015, I think it was. Yeah. By Ed Miliband, no less, when he was um, debating David Cameron. And his phrase was, there you go again. You can't talk about the present, you can't talk about the future, so you want to talk about the past. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an enduring one for sure. Okay, what's, the, what's, what's next? Okay, so next up, uh, we're going back 32 years ago to the vice presidential debate. Uh, and it's between Senator Lloyd Benson, who's a Democrat from Texas. Uh, he's the VP candidate for uh, Michael Dukakis. And he's against Senator Dan Quayle, who's Indiana Republican. Uh, Quayle at the time was in his early 40s and often faced questions about his age and experience. And this is how he responded. I have far more experience than many others that sought the office of vice president of this country. I have as much experience in the Congress as Jack Kennedy did when he sought the presidency. I will be prepared to deal with the people in the Bush administration if that unfortunate event would ever occur. Senator Benson. Senator. I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. Yeah, it's another cracker, isn't it? I, I love it. And apparently Benson uh, and his team, as they were prepping for that, they had noticed that Quayle on the campaign trail was time and again comparing himself to JFK. So they right. prepared that um, ahead of time. And again, it's worth going back and watching the clip on YouTube because as soon as Quayle says it, Benson, his his eyes light up and he's just kind of ready to deliver the line, kind of like a you know stiletto knife between the ribs. Um, and again, right, that entered the political lexicon, um, even though, you know, Benson and Dukakis didn't go on to win. It still shows that if you can have that zinger, then it'll live forever. It, it, it really does. Again, I think in UK politics, I've heard it used repeatedly among the kind of like um, 
American politics aficionados. So in 2012, uh, William Hague used it against against Ed Miliband. Is a recurring theme here. Um, <laughs> when Miliband was trying to uh, kind of lift the One Nation phrase from the Tories, it was made popular by Benjamin Disraeli, the former Tory PM. So Haig said, to borrow a turn of phrase, we were led by Disraeli, our predecessors knew, knew Disraeli. Disraeli's beliefs were conservative through and through. And Ed Miliband, you are no Disraeli. So yeah, another one, another one that endures, another one that crosses over from, from the US to the UK. Um, number three, Will, what, what have you got for us now? Yeah, number three. So this time we're in 1992. Uh, and it's actually the first town hall debate. So it's the first time in the history of televised presidential debates. Yeah, got- town hall debates, is like we'll both know, is because we both live in the, in the US now, but they're a very uniquely American style of debate. And I'm not sure I'd ever really heard of the kind of format really until I came here. But it's basically with an audience, isn't it? But that's what they'll, that's what they refer to it as a town hall debate. Yeah, it's. I always found it a slightly irritatingly folksy way to, <laughs> right, to, to to talk about it. But yeah, so you know, normally, right up until now, the examples I've given you, it is just candidate versus candidate with a moderator. But for the first time in 1992, what they did, they had the town hall debate where the candidates would debate each other, but they would also field questions from the audience. And it was one such question from the audience that. Uh, put George H.W. Bush in a little bit of trouble. Take a listen. Well, I think the national debt affects everybody. Uh, obviously, it has, has a lot to do with interest rates. It has... She's you, saying you personally. You, on a personal basis, how has it affected you? Has it affected you personally? Well, I'm sure it has. I love my grand, grandchildren. I want to think how? that... I want to think, think that they're going to be able to afford an education. I think that that's an important part of being a parent. I, if the question, if you're, maybe I won't get it wrong. Are you suggesting that if somebody has means that the national debt doesn't affect them? Oh, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I get it. Help me with the question and I'll well, try to answer it. Now, the extra context here is that right as he's being asked a question, he gets up and he glances at his wristwatch like he's bored and ready to to go home and it's not a subtle you know little glance down he pulls his wrist up to chest height and he uses his opposite hand to tug back his sleeve so he can really get a look at that watch so it's right. the optics of it are appalling right. um and you know it's not the clearest question i think she's sort of slightly confusing national debt with the effects of a recession but bush's belligerent impatient response help me with the question yeah is dreadful it's that awkward moment where politicians come into contact context with real with real people and the results are sometimes terrible for, for particularly people like you know bush comes from a a you know a, a, the, the famous bush dynasty he had long illustrious career in politics and perhaps he's kind of lost some 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 of the some of the common common touch that you need and I, I think that's why TV debates are, are, are great in in that kind of those kind of moments where completely unscripted, somebody from an audience says something and it can and, and it and it totally disarms somebody who wants to wants to run a country. Which brings us on to 2016 <laughs> and a definite change in tone. Who have we got? Who have yeah. we got next? Who, who have we got in 2016? Yeah. Um, <laughs> hmm. Well, <laughs> so this is from the second presidential debate and it is Trump uh, to Hillary's face telling her what he's going to do if he is elected president. If I win, 
I am going to instruct my Attorney General to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation because there has never been so many lies, so much deception. There has never been anything like it. People have been, their lives have been destroyed for doing one fifth of what you've done. And it's a disgrace. And honestly, you ought to be ashamed of Secretary yourself. Secretary Clinton, I want to follow let, up on that. Yeah, I'm going to let, let you talk about it now. Because everything he just said is absolutely false, but I'm not oh, surprised. Really? It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. Now, I mean, it's mm. easy to kind of forget how bonkers that was. Yeah. It being 2020 and now we're four years into the Trump administration. But here was a presidential candidate on the debate stage of a major party saying that he would put his opponent in prison yeah. if he's elected president. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of night and day in terms of the tone compared to everyone we've kind of heard up until this point, even among politicians that you, you, you might not like or that you might not like their policies and positions. It just kind of ramps it up to a different degree. But I also think it's s- symbolic of kind of why Trump was successful. He doesn't use Washington, D.C., language or pleasantries and while what he was saying was 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 outrageous you can kind of see why it appealed to people who had completely tuned out of politics and just wanted somebody to to shake it up so you know i mean whether tv debates matter is 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 debatable and and the consensus seemed to be they don't but it certainly underlined what his pitch was and what he was there to do so in that sense I guess it worked yeah and I think it just shows you don't have to be polished and and I think you shouldn't underestimate Trump's ability to you know pull a zinger right however blunt and stupid and offensive yes he's belligerent he's a liar he's all of those things and actually in this all bets are off landscape you know that plays to his advantage he'll he'll definitely i'm sure do similar things against biden and there'll be viral clips um yeah so we've got one more which is um from a similar vintage what's what's this one (laughs) yeah it's another 2016 classic uh so this is from the uh final presidential debate in 2016 and at the time in you know in the later days of the election then he'd have been banging the drum um about how election day it was all going to be rigged against him uh, and when asked whether he would concede this is what he said i will look at it at the time i'm not looking at anything now i'll look at it at the time what i've seen what i've seen is so bad first of all the media is so dishonest and so corrupt and the pylon is so amazing i will tell you at the time i'll keep you in suspense i mean that feels like a precursor for what's going to happen in the next few months if there's any 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 question marks over um let's say if biden wins and trump starts to suggest things were rigged that's a, that's important for the future isn't it yeah i mean the received wisdom right is that privately trump and the trump camp were kind of getting their excuses in early because they were kind of expecting uh that he was gonna lose in november 2016 um, and yeah, I think it's totally foreshadowing what he's already starting to do. 
this year round again it's the corrupt democrats it's the mainstream media rigging the election against him uh, only this time with the help of mail-in ballots right um, I just wanted to wrap things up with a few quickfire questions. I think the idea of this bit is to maybe give um, people in the, the UK a bit of a kind of cheat sheet or interesting things they can say in the pub. Basically, they're going to steal your opinions to sound more intelligent about uh, US politics. So um, just go with me on this one. Um, <laughs> who do you okay. think will, in inverted commas, win the TV debates, Biden or Trump? Jen. I mean, based on who, like who decides. Right. I mean, I don't know. I don't they're know. Both, so, they're both know. going to say they won. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's sort of a, a flawed question. They're all winners in their minds. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> we'll we'll know on November second. Yeah. There we go. That's the that's the pub answer. That's the one I wanted. Um, wh- wh- who do you think will win the election? Where's that one going at the moment? <laughs> if it was tomorrow, I would say Biden. But Jen. Yeah, I would say it was Biden. He's leading in all the national polls consistently, and that's usually a marker for success. Will we ever see Donald Trump Jr. run for president? He was he had a interesting um, time in the spotlight during the uh, Republican convention. Um, is he one to watch for the future? I would say it's possible that he runs. Um, I don't know if he's the the favorite of the father. Um, Ivanka Trump being uh, slightly more elevated than he, than he is, but he's very popular with uh, Trump supporters. You know, they chant his name and all at every one of the president's rallies, and uh, he seems to be in tune with the president's kind of uh, identity politics, if that's what you want to call it. Um, so he could definitely make a run in the future. Jen, do you think we'll see more of Junior? I think we'll see more of Junior. I don't. Maybe he'll run for president one day. Who knows? I think he'll try to stay in the spotlight. And he does have his father's name, which now forever will carry with it the support that his father had. So he'll. I don't think he's going away. And on election night, um, people in the UK will be staying up late to watch, no doubt. What 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 are the what are the food and drinks that fuel you through through an election election <laughs> night, so others can do the same. I would say alternating Red Bull and bourbon. Okay. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Jen, similar, uh, a similar tipple? Uh, yeah, it's a, we have, a, I would say, a lot of spicy Chinese food. And uh, we, have, we have whiskey usually. but Right, okay. But, uh, you, I personally can't, I have to cut it off at a certain point because we have to file stories. And yeah. you can't file a story with a bunch of spicy food in your gut and a bunch of whiskey pouring down your throat. Right, right. Got to be a pro, right? Thanks for joining me, Jen and Igor, and thanks everyone for listening. The TV debates possibly won't move the dial, as commentators tend to say, but if Biden emerges unscathed, it may provide relief for his supporters who feared his occasional lack of coherence provided Trump's last chance to claw back the deficit. Please do subscribe now for more episodes and make sure you check out HuffPost UK's other podcasts, including Commons People, our weekly look at UK politics, which are available in all the usual places. Thanks very much and speak to you again.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.